0: You know the routine. Let, let's sing. Oh, come let us adore him. Oh, come let us adore him. Oh, come let us adore him, Christ. Father, praise and honor and glory be to you. We just ask that the Spirit of the Lord is upon us. Not just for these few minutes we spend together, but as we go out, may we be anointed, may we be empowered, and may people see Jesus Christ in our lives. We ask this in the powerful name of Jesus, amen. Now, I did not ask my wife for permission to tell this story. It's not directly about her, but her family. Um... As you know, as many of you know, my wife is of German descent. Her last name was Werfel, Werfel which actually means dice. You know, so dice, that's what it means. I'm sure they were gamblers. So, uh, and it was a gamble for me to marry into that family. But my wife is awesome. So, probably 10 years ago or so, I decided... I would cook for the whole family. And it wasn't just her family, her immediate family. It was cousins, aunts, uncles. There were probably about 30 of them there. And some of you have heard this story um, because I just think it's funny. So about 30 people packed into this house. And they're not all German. Actually, quite a few Filipinos in this house. And I had made pancit. I had made lumpia, which is the egg rolls. And... Grandpa was still alive. Opa was still alive. But he was going back to the home that he was staying at. And her dad had him in a wheelchair and was carting him out the door. And right before they get to the door, he says, Heil Hitler. And then he left. And we just saw, did that really just happen? And we had had, her grandpa and I had several conversations before he, before he died, and he had had a stroke, um, and this was at the end when he was losing some of his mental capabilities, and, uh, and he would talk about that Hitler was not that bad of a guy, um, and how he actually would help protect people and he was good for the you know for the economy and and I'm not going to tell you ex- the exact words he used uh cuz they might not be totally appropriate but that was his belief system and and you might wonder how could you have been so deceived well about 30 years ago, actually no, closer to about 35 years ago, there was a movie, and if you go to the first picture up there, "Di Vele," does anybody know what that means? Can you see the red right there? The wave. It is called the wave, and this was a movie made about something that happened exactly 50 years ago this year. The wave. Now, if any of you can remember that far back, um, I'm not going to point out who can. But if you remember, and if you ever heard about this, in Palo Alto, you can go to the next, the next slide also. This was another movie that was made about 10 years ago that was sort of telling about the same thing. In California, there was a high school, Coverly High School, where this new teacher, this young teacher that had just graduated from Stanford University, had started his tenure. And, and he, was, he was different. He was exciting. He did his classroom like uh, Miss Yanina back there. He, he was different than all the other teachers. He would, he would do experiments in history. And he just a different learning style. And the kids loved him. And they loved him because he was just different. And you know that at that time, it was during the hippie movement and everything, and just free learning, free love, free everything. And, and his homeroom class was this group of 30 sophomores. And during the, the course of the year, when they started t- talking about the Holocaust, a couple of the students said, how could a mass amount of people Do this? How could they be so deceived by somebody to do this? And so as time went on a little bit, he said, I'd like to run an experiment with you. Let's let's do this together. And with this experiment, you're going to get a grade. But it'll be a game. We're going to do a game experiment. So what he said, and I just want to get this correct. He said, if you are an active participant... You will get an a if you just go along with our experiment you get a c if you try to do a revolution against the experiment you will get an f unless your revolution succeeds then you get an a and so what they what he started doing if you watch the documentary the the lesson plan what he started doing is he said there is this this youth movement that is telling us that actually you get more air to your brain by sitting up straight. So let's see if we can sit up straight. Everybody, try it. Sit up straight. And they all did it. That's it. Yeah. Ow, my back. So, so they did this, and it, they would practice this before every class. or and not before every class, but several times that first day. Okay, okay. And then he said, okay, this is what we're going to do. They also said that if you sit at attention from the get-go, it's better in class. Now, doesn't this make sense? From the get-go, you sit sit at attention. So they started taking them out. He goes, go outside the class and practice coming in, sitting at attention. They did. Did. And it got better and better and better. But he said, I'm not going to judge it. I need judges to judge if we're doing it right. So what they did is they put their head on the desk, and he would tap three people. And he said you are the ones nobody knew who it was except for them You are the ones who are going to let me know who's doing it wrong So they did it did it did they practiced, practiced, practiced. Well what they found out from some of the testimonies later on Is that people were jealous of those participants And so what he had promised those participants is you will get an extra credit grade You'll get a better grade If you tell me who's not doing this stuff outside of our class By day three, this movement had gone from 30 students to 200 students outside of his class. They started wearing armbands. They see that they started doing their own salute. And what they started doing is actually he really wanted to work with the middle class, meaning not the popular cheerleaders, whatever. He really worked to say, you guys are the important one. You will be the ones to enforce this. And he said, by day three, this is where he knew it spun out of control, is one of the, one of the guards attended him, marched with him into the teacher lounge. And they said, students aren't allowed here. And he said, I am not a student. I'm a bodyguard. And he said, I knew I had to stop it. And it was hard to stop it by day five. See, a lot of us, if you read my teaser, a lot of us are willing to judge somebody and say, oh, well, that person, how could that ever happen? They're, you know, he proved, and this has been a psychological sort of experiment that has been studied for, for decades. He proved we're just people. People are people. We are all fallen. We will all make mistakes people are people. Now, as you get to the book of Romans, because we are transitioning into the book of Romans, I believe that is the statement that Paul is making first. People are people. We're all in the same situation. I know we all make different mistakes, but we're all in the same situation. Now, since this is the first one, I have to give you a little bit of intro. That's just how it has to go for the Church of Rome. The Church of Rome, as you know, was in the city of Rome. Yes, you guys are smart. So there's the Church of Rome. Now, most people who are not real read in Scripture or history probably believe, because I did, I'm assuming, for, for years I thought this when I was a first, uh, an early Christian, that that was one of Paul's churches. But historically, this was not one of Paul's churches. He had actually never been to Rome, it is believed, until after he wrote the book of Romans, the letter to the Romans. And then he was in Rome because he was in prison. You know, he he took this voyage, he ended up in prison. But it's believed that most likely the people that brought the message to Rome were people at Pentecost. Remember the Pentecost? When there are all these people, you know, visiting there and they're, and they're worshiping and they see all this, you know, people speaking. Well, what they hear is in a different language, their own language. And they're like, this is a great message. And they bring it home. But the problem is with churches like the Corinthians and with Ephesians, you know, the Ephesians, they had people to mentor them. They had Paul or Timothy or they had somebody to mentor them. The Romans were on their own. They were far enough away. They're on their own. So they had this cool message that they're spreading, but they're sort of spreading it just the way that they heard it for a weekend. Could you imagine that? We're going to make a life movement out of what I heard at a seminar on a weekend. So, it's believed that there were these Jews that started the core, but this message was getting out to the Gentiles. And the Gentiles were actually becoming more than the Jews. Well, the Jews didn't know how to handle this. They're saying, these Jewish converts, they say, how do we keep what we are as Jews, because these are still dirty Gentiles, but we give them the message, but not be contaminated by them. And so they were struggling. And Paul was hearing this. And if you notice at first, Paul gives them an affirmation. He says, I want to affirm you, and I want to thank God that there is even a church there. But just know, you guys need a little bit of help. And so we go to Romans chapter 1. And we start with verse 1. It says this. Paul, a servant of, Jesus, of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the holy scriptures. I'm going to read on even though I didn't put it up there. Regarding his son, who, ha- who as to his human nature was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with the power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. He starts off saying, I'm going to give you the ending right now. We have a gospel because of Jesus. Because Jesus was resurrected. Is that not an amen? You know the message. Amen. He starts with that because they know it, they've heard it, but he's starting where they are, and then he says, "There, I, I long to see you. I long to impart to you the 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 spiritual gifts, the the gospel a little bit more." And then he goes to verse fifteen and sixteen, and it says this. That is why I'm so eager to preach the gospel to you that. Uh, To you who are at Rome. Continued. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. First the Jew, then for the Gentile. He's saying this is inclusive of everybody. This is the most important thing you will ever hear. The gospel. Now, I know this is semantics. But I want you to catch this. That what it's saying is. It's not saying that the gospel is the power of God. I I, I want you to hear this. The gospel itself is not the power of God. The power of God that brings salvation is the gospel. Light bulb yet? If I say awesome is Patricia Williams. I am not defining the word awesome by Patricia Williams. I might say Patricia Williams is awesome. Do you see the difference? Cricket, cricket, cricket. It is not defining gospel by. I mean, it's not defining the power of God. It is defining the gospel. The power of God is not the gospel. The gospel is that the power of God to heal Jesus Christ resurrected. That is the gospel. The question is, what is the gospel? What does it mean? We know what the message is, but why is it so important? Why is this word? And gospel is not really used in everyday language. I, I, I can understand, you know, maybe some, you know, some people use gospel, but it's not an everyday language use now. I want to share, you know, I'm going to share original language with you. The word for gospel in Greek, I'm going to start with Greek because we're talking New Testament right now, is you, are we there? Oh, yeah. Oh, did it not turn out in Greek? Oh, I actually had the Greek there. You and So it's transliterated there. So it must not have worked on this end. You and is two words. You, like a eulogy, is good. You know, a euphemism, eulogy. Angelion is message or herald. Actually, this word was mostly used when a victorious king would come back. And then, hey, he's done well. We won. That's what it means. Go to the next one. But obviously, you know it comes from a Hebrew root. And as you know, basura, not basura, which is in Spanish. No, it's basora is a message of a victorious king. And this word is used several times, usually related. He would ask, like David, it's used several times with David. He would say, hey, has Saul come back victorious? Is this this the good news we're waiting for? So it was used towards that, but it's used one other time outside of a king in a war and stuff like that. And if you remember the story, because I am not going to read the story, because of time. But if you remember the story of Elisha, where there is the king of Aram surrounds the city of Samaria, and there's so much famine in the land that they were selling a donkey's head for 80 shekels of silver, and I think it's five shekels of silver for some bird dung. And it depends on your translation. Some say seed, seed pods, but I actually think they were selling whatever they're selling, it's not worth it. You know, could you, I I, I said this at chapel, could you imagine, you know, you go to lunch, you're a kid, you're like, hey, what do you have today? "Mm, I got donkey head. The other one's, oh, I got bird dung. Uh, Can we switch? No. You know, so that's how bad it had gotten in the, the nation. And the king of Israel said, because of this, it's all Elisha's fault, let's cut his head off probably because he had a chance to kill the king of Aram right before that. Read the story yourself, 2 Kings 7 and 6, chapter 6 and 7. So here we get to this point where nobody's eating. And then if you remember, to really shorten the story, remember Aram had heard that there was this sound of these chariots coming from the Hittites and from the, from the Egyptians, and they ran. I mean, it says in the text that they left their horses and donkeys tied. They just ran, and they were stripping off clothes. They're running, dropping shields, everything. They left everything. And these four lepers are sitting outside the city, and they're saying, you know what? If we go in the city, we're going to die. If we sit here, we're going to die. Why don't we go see what Aram's got? And so they go there, and they find there's nobody here. So first thing they probably do is start shoving food in their face. Just stuff in their face. One of them said, wait, wait, wait. We shouldn't be doing this. This is wrong. There are people dying all in there. We need to bring the good news to them that Aram is gone. And that's what that text says, is that the, mess, that the good news was that they were lost. They were all going to die, and now they're going to live. That was gospel to them. That's the roots of this verse. So now, why do we need to be saved? Why do we even need this gospel? And in verse 18, it says this. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godliness and wickedness of men Who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since since what may be known about God is plain to them. Because God has made it plain to them. (sighs) We need saving. Because of the wrath of God. Now here is where we have to deal with a word. Called wrath. Because... There are a lot of Christians out there that believe that God is fuming mad at you. They take this word out of its English context and say, God is just, because you've sinned, he is going just to wail on you, and he's going to wail on you with fire. And so if you get in line, then you're good. And do you think that's what they believed at that time in Rome? Yes, that was a pagan idea. Yes, we believe this. So they had a concept of the wrath, but they did not understand what wrath meant. Now, I am sorry. You know that I love Hebrew. I am going to the Hebrew concept of wrath. There are two main words. There is actually a third one off. But there are two main words that are translated as anger or wrath from Hebrew i want to give you the roots the word the first word is ketsef can you say ketsef ketsef the root of ketsef is wood chips how does anger and wrath come from wood chips well what they used to do is laborers would pay be paid often in wood chips but the hard thing with paying somebody in wood chips and splinters small ones is that there would be an un even distribution. There would be an uneven distribution of wood chips, and so what would happen is people would get angry. Do you understand? Do you see the jump? They would get angry in the uneven distribution. So when when David actually asked God, like in verse uh, in Psalms thirty-eight one, he says, "Don't rebuke me, don't discipline me in your anger." What is he saying? Is Lord, remember yourself that you are just, that you are not going to distribute it unevenly. You will do it evenly. He wasn't saying for God to, oh yeah, you're right, I am just. He was just saying, please, I'm crying out of my heart. I don't really deserve it, but you will do it evenly. You will discipline, you will judge me evenly. And then the word "kema." Kema, can you say that? Is another word, and it it originates from the word that means to get bitten by a snake. And when you get bitten by a snake, you would get a fever. You'd get hot with fever, hence anger. But it was not always just translated anger. It was also translated, because anybody ever been really embarrassed? I mean, embarrassed to the point where you feel the blood... ...come to your skin... ...what this word also means... ...is to be embarrassed... ...usually by betrayal... ...and so... ...some of the Hebrew scholars... ...actually believe that this word... ...means to cry out... ...because of a broken heart... ...it's not out of anger... ...but crying out... ...because I am broken... ...so is it possible that that is what God is saying concerning his, what we call, wrath. He is so brokenhearted because of our situation. Because guess what? Without this gospel, we are all done for. We're all done for. And he's brokenhearted about this. Because you remember... We've preached this before. Well, this is what I believe. That from Revelation, that there are four things that sin leads to. Four things. Death, sorrow, crying, pain. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death, sorrow, crying, pain. That's what God wants to get rid of. Death, sorrow, crying, pain. Do you think that breaks the heart of the Lord? Yes. If he is fuming mad... It's not at people. If you read the text, it says he is, it's the wickedness. It's the destruction. He hates what, it's, what sin is doing to people. Death, sorrow, crying, pain. He doesn't hate people. He hates death, sorrow, crying, pain. And one day he will get rid of that completely. But he has to put them right, the Jews and the Gentiles. And so, I'm actually going to read some text to you. So if you have your scripture, if you have your sword, indulge with me. Romans 1, verses 20 to 32. Now, I am actually going to read from a paraphrase. I normally don't encourage studying out of a paraphrase, but I'm going to read from the paraphrase the message which I was informed which I never had read that this paraphrase is actually it comes from the original languages which I was very excited to to see and then to read or to hear about and then to read but we're going to start with verse 20 and this is how it reads here so if you want to listen along it's going to be a little bit different what happened was this people knew God perfectly well but they didn't treat him like God. Refusing to worship him, they trivialized themselves into silliness and confusion so that there was neither sense nor direction left in their lives. They pretended to know it all, but were illiterate regarding life. They traded the glory of God who holds the whole world in his hands for cheap. You can buy at any roadside stand. So God said, in effect, if that's what we, you want, That's what you get. And we believe that. Ellen White even says stuff. If that's what you want, that's what you get. It wasn't long before that, that they were living in a pig pen, smeared with filth, filthy inside and out, and all this because they traded God, uh, the true God, for a fake God, and worshiped the God they made instead of the God who made them. The God we bless, the God who blesses us. Oh, yes. Worse followed, refusing to know God, they soon didn't know how to be human anymore. Women didn't know how to be women and men didn't know how to be men. Sexually confused, they abused and defiled one another. Women with women, men with men, all lust, no love. And then they paid for it. Oh, how they paid for it. Emptied of God and love, godless and loveless wretches. Since they didn't bother to acknowledge God, God quit bothering them and let them run loose. And then All hell broke loose. Rampant evil, grabbing and grasping, vicious backstabbing. They made life hell on earth with their envy, wanton killing, bickering, and cheating. Look at them, mean-spirited, venomous, uh, fork-tongued God-bashers, bullies, swaggers, insufferable windbags. They keep inventing new ways of wrecking lives. They ditch their parents when they get in the way. Stupid, slimy, cruel, cold-blooded, and it's not as if they don't know any better. They know perfectly well that they are spitting in God's face, and they don't care. Worse, they hand out prizes to those who do the worst things. We aren't in that way in this society. Our, our, our society isn't headed in that same direction, is it? He said, there was a downward spiral. And it all started with these little figurines. But little by little, they came to the point that God isn't enough. And since God isn't enough, just little by little, God is worthless to the point of, I don't want God in my life. This is the problem we face. Even now. We are at a point where we want to solve things. We want to solve the problem without God. I mean, think about it. We want morality in this country, right? People on the outside want morality within this country. If you, if you think otherwise, then, then you're really sort of, we're, we're deceived. They want morality according to what they think is moral. So we've got things, these borders called PC, politically Correct. That will help people feel better. That is very moral. People are physically ailing, so we have drugs, and we will produce drugs and drugs and drugs and drugs. You heard uh, when Thor was here just the medical community, the healthcare industry is 20% of our whole economy. And that's legal drugs. We've got drugs, we've got marches, people march, and they think people will be transformed because I'm marching against something. They believe we are going to transform this country by peace, political correctness, political parties. How about that? We think that who we vote for will transform this country. Well, I will tell you this. Without God, I don't care who you vote for. It's still ending in one place. It doesn't matter what political party we ascribe to. If God is not the center, it is rubbish. It is not a solution. God is the solution. So he just talked about those people and he says to you and i'm i'll read it out of the message too i mean not to you to the jewish christians he said those people are on a downward spiral but if you think that leaves you on high ground where you can point fingers at others think again every time you criticize someone you are actually condemning yourself right one finger out at least three back i don't know some people have said four but that's sort of weird it takes one to know one. You know that saying, right? I've heard that from Rod a lot. Judgment, judgmental criticism of others is well known, a well-known way of escaping detect, detection in your own crimes and misdemeanors. So deflecting. Ooh, I'm not like that person. But God isn't so easily diverted. He sees right through all such smoke screens and holds you to what you've done. You didn't think, did you? That just by pointing your finger at others, you would distract God from seeing all your misdoings and from coming down on you so hard. You didn't think that just because you said, I'm better than that person, that he was going, oh yeah, you're right. I better go take care of that person. What he's saying is, we're all godless. We're all messed up. And I'll say this even because he's talking to religious people now. He's talking to me. I will give you some vulnerability right now. We have our programs. Me personally. There have been times where I've taught in class. Spiritual stuff. Bible class. There are times that I have come in front of congregation that I have not bathed the message in prayer. Because you get caught up with everything in the week and you're like, well, I, I, I need to pray about this message, you know, and, and you do it for about two minutes or five minutes or whatever, but not where I am engrossed in praying that the Lord just anoints this. I'm assuming I'm not the only one and I pray, I pray that you forgive me for that. But we do it with our programs we can have programs that are good programs without God in the center. Do you believe that? Sometimes our worship services. You know this because if sometimes if you have stood up here with the microphone, you worship leaders, and you watch how people sing those songs that you lead out, you can tell that there's heart that misses in some of those congregations. That you're like, why are we even singing? What Paul is saying is, you're no better. We're all lost. If. We're all lost if. And he says this. I actually, uh, I'm going to skip Romans chapter 2 verses 12 through 16 there. He says that we are all the same and we do the same because we are all the same we're all the same. You know, ironically, I, how many of you have pet peeves? How many of your spouses your pet peeve? No, I'm just joking. No. How many of you, so you have pet peeves. One of my pet peeves, and I know it's my wife's also, is that, you know, when you're driving and it's a 2 line, a two-lane, well, it's usually four-lane, but on your side, it's two lanes, right? Uh, this, on a highway, and then they're doing construction up the road about a mile or two, and You get in line because you're a good person. You get in line. And then people are zooming by to get to the front of the line. I hate those people. I hate them. Like, I really start, I I feel it. I don't really hate them. I don't know them. But I pray for them. And you pray for me. But they get, and then I see, and I'm like, oh, I hope at the front of the line they block them off. And they never do. They always get in front of me. But what stinks is there'll be time when I'm driving distracted, you know, talking, whatever, listening to something, whatever. And then I notice, hey, why is everybody getting over? And I'm the one who got up in the front of the line. But my intent was better. I was just distracted. But those guys are malicious, and they're trying to just get it, take advantage of people. We're all the same. I've cut off people by not seeing them You know, I I look, and I think I, and, and, but when somebody does it to me, they're a big jerk. We're all the same. We're in the same boat. We've all fallen. And so the problem is that we will all die. And and here's the problem. I'm going to read it out of this text as I go back and forth. I, I want to read the text that we had just read, that actually David had just read. As it is written, this is Romans chapter 3, there is none, no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who is good, not even one. And then it says, they just don't have fear of God anymore. No one Righteous because he understands the human condition and guess what i don't care how much you obey from now on you're still gonna die amen i'm done no i'm just but you're still we're all we're all humans we all have fallen we're all gonna die unless god intervenes It doesn't matter how holy you make yourself look. It doesn't matter how much tithe you give. It doesn't matter how many times you come here. If God didn't intervene, that's it. So, the question to them was, well then, is there anything positive for me being a Jewish Christian? And, and he says this, is there an advantage? Romans chapter 3, I keep wondering which one I'm going to go to. What advantage then is there in being a Jew or what value is there in, in circumcision? Does he say nothing? No, he says much in every way. First of all, they have been entrusted in the very words of God. There is an advantage. Guess what? If you are a Seventh-day Adventist Christian, can I say that If. There is an advantage. We have a health message. We have the three angels angels message. We have gospel message. Is that what's going to save you just because you have that message? No. That's what he's saying to them. It doesn't matter if you're in here or out there. Your end's the same. You have an advantage if you take advantage of it. But guess what? It's still the same. And he says this about the Jewish people and the Gentiles. He says in Romans chapter 2, verses 28 and 29, A person is not a Jew who is only outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical, which is talking about the covenant. This was a sign of the covenant. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart. By the Spirit, not by the written code, such a person's praise is not by other people or from other people, but from God. Real Judaism, real believer, is about transformation of the heart. Transformation of the heart. It's not whether you grew up an Adventist. I'm going to realize it, whatever you call it. You grew up in this church. Yeah, you had an advantage. But if your heart is not transformed, then it's sort of worthless. You actually, had a, you actually were given a privilege that you didn't take advantage of. And so to end today, I'm going to give you the solution because Paul gives the solution. And then he will describe the solution next week when he comes here. And the solution is this, in Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 22. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, Adventist, Catholic, atheist. There is really no difference in anybody human. Because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God— And are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. Justified freely. How great is the gift of salvation that comes through Jesus!